Okay, so I'm going to get you to turn to Revelation chapter 11. And we're going to read verses 1 to 13 again this morning as we continue our look at the two witnesses. And we're going to be going and seeing a few, we're going to be seeing a few more uh, areas within uh, the book of Revelation. You can't, it's very difficult just to do one chapter without defining a few other things for you. But I, I've heard um, that a lot of you are really interested in Revelation and how to, how to piece it together and how to understand it. So I'm hoping today that I'll be able to give you a few more tools to help understand the book of Revelation. We won't do the whole book of Revelation, but we're going, we're going to look at specifically one, um, one particular uh, person uh, at the moment who interacts with these two witnesses that we have been studying for the last uh, two weeks. Okay, so... We're looking at Revelation chapter 11, uh, verses 1 to 13 this morning. And uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me there. And it says in Revelation 11, 1, And there was given me a reed like unto a rod. And the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court, which is without the temple, which means outside the temple, leave out. And measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall be tread underfoot forty and two months. That's three and a half years. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days, clothed in sackcloth. That's also three and a half years. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Remember, Moses and Elijah, who represent the law and the prophets. Verse 5, And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth, and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they, of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations, shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry, and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwell on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were affrighted, and gave glory to the God of heaven. Let's commit this time to the Lord, let's thank him for his word, and let's ask that he would teach us directly uh, from that this morning. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word this morning, and we thank you for these words that have been recorded that we have just read. We thank you for the Apostle John, who penned these words, who was faithful enough to uh, listen uh, and to obey your calling in his life. And we do pray that we would be the same in ours. I pray that you would teach us your ways this morning, that you would open up the eyes of our understanding, that you would grant us your grace and your wisdom, that we may be able to apply these words to our own lives, 
that, in th- that through those choices, decisions that we make, we would glorify you in every possible way and that, would pe- that people would see Jesus in us. Help us to grow through this knowledge, Lord. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay, so let's, let's recap for a moment. We're coming to the end of a what's called a seven-year uh, tribulation period, split up in two halves. Now, that split in two halves is very important because the first three and a half is a tribulation period, but not as bad as the last three and a half years. The last three and a half years uh, is called also Jacob's Trouble and is a time when there will be absolute devastation on the, on the earth. So, we're at a point now, uh, with respect to our two witnesses, where the world has endured seven years of the worst seven years or the worst years in history of the entire planet. The devastation across the world is terrifying and around one third of the world's population has perished. The two witnesses have had their full three and a half years to witness against the Antichrist. And remember what that message was? Their message for three and a half years was to still point to Christ and to point to the Antichrist and say, he is not the one. He is a, a, a counterfeit. He is not true. The Antichrist has proclaimed himself to be the manifestation of God in the flesh and has amassed the greatest army the world has ever seen um, for the coming of Christ. He is preparing himself for Jesus to return and he thinks he's going to actually defeat um, uh, the armies of the Lord with his own. For 42 months, he has trampled underfoot Jerusalem and Israel uh, and he wants to rule the entire world. There will be pockets of resistance, but his goal will be to have one religion, one ruler, one God, who is Satan himself. The Antichrist has not been able to lay a finger on these two witnesses during that time because they are under the protection of God within the temple. They've been given an amazing power to be able to defend themselves. And I am sure that there are angelic beings that God sends to protect those two from the attacks of these uh, of this uh, person uh, and from the evil uh, angels as well, in order that they will fulfill their mission uh, to the entire world. And their mission is to turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers and the fathers to the children to bring back their their people Israel to point them to Christ that they would have an amazing um, uh, repentance and revival within their people and they would become the witnesses to the entire world as they were called to be from the very beginning but as their work comes to an end we read these verses in verse in these uh, verses in 7 and 8 it says and when they shall have finished their testimony the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Okay. Now let's just put some things in context. <clears throat> I've said to you that the uh, two witnesses will witness against the Antichrist for three and a half years. So this particular person who proclaims himself to be the Christ and will point to Christ. Now let's put some things in context. For those of you who don't know, all the major religions of the world are waiting for the coming of a Messiah, for a Christ. 
Okay, and the word Messiah is means exactly the same thing as Christ. It just has a Jewish um, a, a basis to the word. Okay, Christ is the the Greek word that we would normally use, but they mean essentially the same thing. Did you know that all the major religions of the world are waiting for a Messiah? Which is very interesting if you think about it. The Buddhists are waiting for the coming of their next Buddha. They call him Maitreya. According to Buddhist tradition, Maitreya is a, uh, a, a Bodhisattva, uh, if I say this right, Bodhisattva, who will appear on earth in the future, <coughs> achieve complete enlightenment, and teach the pure Dharma, as they say, or the pure teachings, or the pure truth. According to their scriptures, Maitreya will be a successor to the present Buddha. Okay, so at the moment, they're worshipping a Buddha, uh, Gautama Buddha. And you'll notice those, those uh, statues uh, that, they, that they bow down to, and the statues that you see in, um, in places like Bali and, and those sort of things, that's the God they worship. Okay, so he's a manifestation of another God. And he is, and he is, uh, and they're expecting another one to come, whom they will call Maitreya. So they're waiting for this next one to come. The New Ages, people who are into New Age philosophy, are also waiting for this uh, enlightened being called Maitreya, who will come and teach the entire world. The Muslims are waiting for the coming of a Messiah, whom they call the Imam al-Mahdi. Okay. According to their teaching, the, this Mahdi, this teacher, is an expected ruler sent by God, by Allah, uh, before the end of time to re-establish righteousness, which will coincide or comes before the second coming of Christ. Yes, the Muslims believe that Jesus will come again, but they don't believe he's the Messiah. They believe he's a servant of God, and they believe in this al-Mahdi, okay, who will come before that time. Now, Shiite, most of you would know that, um, that Islam is, has two main sects. The two main ones are Shiite and Sunni. And they're, not, they're not quite in agreement with each other. Uh, in fact, they tend to, to, they tend to fight each other a fair bit as well. But the Shiite Muslims believe that this person has already been born. The Sunni don't necessarily believe that he's been born yet. <clears throat> but a common belief among many Muslims is that before he arrives, that a caliphate... And a caliphate is like a kingdom ruled by a, a caliph, uh, has to be established, which will encompass all the territories that they've ever had in the past. And they will even take over Rome and, and those sort of uh, places, including Israel. Um, and that has to be start, started in the Middle East. Now, most of you would have heard of a group called ISIS or ISIL or Al-Qaeda. Those groups have tried to start the caliphate in um, the Middle East. The most successful of those so far has been ISIS or ISIL, um, which created a caliphate, okay, a, a, a kingdom essentially, which took over large swaths of land in Iraq and Syria for a number of years. And those countries weren't able to defend themselves from that. Um, they also were able to take and control areas in Afghanistan, in Nigeria, Libya, even the Philippines, Egypt and Yemen and Somalia and even have some places in Congo. So they've tried really hard because in their prophecies, they believe that if this caliphate is established, 
that it opens the door for their next Messiah to come, for this Almighty to come, and for them for for Islam to rule the entire world. And you want to know something interesting about that specific thing? According to Muhammad's own prophecy, this Imam, this Al Mahdi, will come again at some time in the future and restore to restore Islamic justice in the world before Jesus returns, according to a particular hadith. And uh, while we have, while Christians have the Bible, the, the Muslims have the Quran, but they also have a number of other books called the Hadith, which, which go with the Quran, which, because the Quran doesn't explain everything, the Hadiths have been added to explain the Quran and to add and give clarity to it. So as part of one of these Hadiths, which they revere as much as the Quran, from what I understand, um, the Prophet Muhammad is, 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 uh, is said to have said um, that the Mahdi will be of his stock, will be a descendant of his directly, and will fill the earth with, equi- with equity and justice, um, and he will rule for seven years. So the Muslim, if they believe this particular hadith, believe that this person will be a direct descendant of Muhammad, and he will rule for seven years. Um, hang on a minute. Um, the Bible teaches that the Antichrist will rule the world um, and seek the destruction of Christians and the Jewish people for a period of seven years during this time. So there's something fishy going on there, and some of you would agree that what's being set up is a conflict that will occur at the end, in addition to Buddhists and and, and Muslims believing and waiting for this, uh, this person to come. Uh, the Hindus also believe in, uh, in a person to come, although there are plenty of sects within Hinduism as well. But other religions who are waiting for um, uh, a Messiah to arrive are Zoroastrianism, Judaism. So the Jews are still waiting for the Messiah to come. Hinduism, they, they call him a Kalki. Taoism call him Li Hong. Babism, they call him the one whom God shall, shall make manifest. Now, if all of these religions are all waiting for this special person to arrive who will seek to rule the world and bring his justice and represent all their religions, what this is uh, pointing to, or the expectations of all these religions all waiting for their Messiah to be born into the world. See, they all believe that he is going to be born and, and, and to be raised as a person and, and then uh, take up the rulership of the world opens the door for a one world religion to be established in the future. Unfortunately, because much of Christendom, many of the, of the churches that we... Um, that the world knows as being Christian have thrown away the Bible, no longer teach the gospel um, because much of Christendom is spiritually dead in this world and have discarded God's truth. They too will be fooled into believing that Jesus will have arrived and returned in the person of this Antichrist and they'll join hands with others who will pledge their loyalty to him. So there's a coming one world religion that will focus on this particular person. 
The time in which these two witnesses will be prophesying shall be a time when this Antichrist will be in control of much of the world. He will have control of Israel. He will have invaded it. As the scriptures have told us, he will, he will have it underfoot for 42 months, for three and a half years. And he will seek to have the temple, which they will rebuild, as his own. He will control Jerusalem, out of Jerusalem. He will control uh, Israel. He will control much of the world, but he won't be able to get into the temple. Okay? He will not be able to gain access to the inner sanctuary uh, or the, the, the holy place because of these two witnesses. And that's covered in verses 1 and 2 of Revelation chapter 11. That's why he says, measure the temple, and I want you to, to measure the temple, worship and measure the altar, and worship them, uh, and measure them that are worshipping therein. But the court, which is outside the temple, leave out and don't measure it, for it's given to the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. These two will be a thorn in this individual's side. They will witness against him. They will preach against him. He will try to shut them down in every possible way that he can to stop their message from getting out. But for three and a half years, it's going to be quite difficult for him to do. But at the end of those three and a half years, when their message is complete, when God says, done, you've done your job, well done, it says that when they finish their testimony to the world, the beast that ascendeth, which means comes up out of the bottomless pit, shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. So the beast from the bottomless pit shall make war against them and overcome them and kill them. All right, so today we're going to be looking at, well, who is this beast from the bottomless pit? In fact, what is the bottomless pit? And why is he coming up from there at all? So let's begin and see what this bottomless pit is. <clears throat> so the bottomless pit, essentially by definition, is a prison cell for fallen angels. Okay. Now, just as people, not everyone uh, who's committed crimes, not everyone who's a bad person ends up in jail, there are some angels who are so bad that they've been thrown into this jail and it's called the bottomless pit. So certain fallen angels. Now, most of you know there are two classes of angels. There are those who are loyal to God, which were two-thirds, and there was a third who fell with Satan, who rebelled against God and decided to go with Satan's plan. Okay? So out of that, that, those, uh, that third that fell, there are some of those who have found themselves now sitting in a bottomless pit, waiting. Some have stepped outside of, so far out of God's bounds and God's laws that God intervened with them uh, for interfering in, in the history of the world, in people's lives, um, and they've been locked up because they are too dangerous. Jesus encounters a, the, these potentially uh, evil angels when he went to the Gadarenes. Turn with me to Luke chapter 8, verse 27, because there are still pretty bad angels floating around, and some of them do continue to push those bounds. The devil has a particular plan which involves doing things which, which God says immediately off to prison. So let's have a look at what that might be, what one of those things may be. Luke chapter 8, verse 27 
says, and when he <coughs> went forth to land, so Jesus is, uh, is, is walking around with his disciples. When he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man. So that comes up to him, which had devils long time. Devils are another word for demons. Okay, This guy had demons within him. He wear no clothes, neither abode in any house. But in the tombs, this fellow lived in the tombs. Okay, he lived in in holes that have been carved out of rocks that were designed to to bury people. Verse twenty eight says, and when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, "What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God Most High? I beseech thee, torment me not." Now, what's amazing here is that. These devils, or these fallen angels, immediately recognize who Jesus is. And they also seem to immediately recognize what power he has over them. They, they recognize him and they beseech him to leave them alone. But these evil angels are indwelling a particular person, this man, whom they, who they're forced, in a sense, to, to live in such a manner. Verse 29 for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For oftentimes he'd had caught him, and he was kept bound with chains and in fetters, and he broke the bands and was driven out of the devil into the wilderness. So this person, it seems as if the people that he was living with, they felt that he was a threat to them. So they, they tried to keep him chained up or tied up, and the... Evil angels within him gave such strength to him that he was able to not only break the bands, but break the chains that they had put uh, on him. And it says that they were driving him mad to that, to, that, uh, to that end. And he was driven that he would run away into the wilderness. Verse 30 says, and Jesus asked him saying, and so that Jesus said, I want you to come out of them. And, he, and they said, leave us alone. So Jesus says in verse um, 30, what is thy name? And he said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him. In other words, Legion is a, a simply a number that they would use for armies and a certain group of, uh, of, of things, more than 100. Verse 31 says, And they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. And there was there an herd of many swine feeding on the mountain. And they besought him that he would suffer them to enter into them. And he suffered them. And to suffer means, all right, he, he, he let them have it, okay? Um, then went the devils out of the man and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake and were choked. Okay, so they all died as part of that. So we see something interesting uh, with fallen angels. Sometimes they like to inhabit people. And as a result, these people... Um, end up doing things that they, they would not normally do. They have strength that they would not normally possess. They have wisdom or knowledge they would not normally possess. And these beings are able to use that person almost like driving a car. In other words, when Jesus spoke with them, they used that man's mouth and voice to speak to Jesus. In other words, they had control of that person. But I want you to notice something in particular. When they were, when Jesus came from and says, all right, time to get out. They said to him, they said um, in verse 31, they besought him, which means they pleaded with him not to command them to go out into the deep. 
Now, what's that into the deep? Well, um, it's not the the ocean, because the ocean is not a holding place for for devils. They were worried that Jesus was going to command them or to confine them to this bottomless pit. The deep is another word for the bottomless pit. In fact, the word, the original Greek word in that, means or is the word abyss. Now, we even use that in our, our common language today. If someone says you're going into an abyss, you know they're going into a very, very, very deep hole. So it's the same word as bottomless pit. So these angels pleaded with Jesus, don't throw us in there. Um, and Jesus actually gave them their request. They were afraid of being thrown in the bottomless pit because if Jesus had thrown them in the bottomless pit, it wasn't for a weekend. It wasn't a, a prison cell for a couple of months. It would seems as if that when, when angels, fallen angels, are cast into this bottomless pit, they are there until the end. They are there until they, they will be released and judged. And that could be a very long time because it looks as if some of them have been in that holding cell for thousands of years. Turn with me to Jude chapter 1 verse 6, which gives us a little bit more of an explanation about what's happened to these uh, beings and how long they're going to be in there um, for. Jude chapter 1 verse 6 says, And the angels which kept not their first estate. In other words, they left the place that they were supposed to be and they moved to another place they weren't supposed to be. In other words, they, let, they went out of their bounds, their boundaries, that God had set, it says, but left their own habitation. It says he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. So these beings are in chains in a dark place, which is the bottomless pit, and they are there until the judgment of the great day. Now, what's that great day? Well, that's the great day when Jesus comes back as Lord of Lords and King of Kings, okay? And he will come and judge those things. The Apostle Paul even says, don't you know that you will judge angels? So um, there will be a judgment that takes place. Now, I want to share something with you, which I don't agree with a number of commentators. Now, be careful when you read commentaries, because sometimes they don't take the Word of God literally. They allegorize it. They, they look at it as a symbol, symbolic of something that might not be real, but they try to give it a flavor of something that's, that's, uh, that means something else. So many commentators um, say that this beast that comes up from the bottomless pit and ends up making war against the two witnesses and killing themselves or killing them is the devil himself. Um, this teaching has been popularized in modern culture and it pictures Satan somehow sitting on a throne in hell while he's tormenting people that have been cast down there. Um, and all the while he's sitting on the throne in hell as happy as Larry and he can conduct all his business from there, come up and down when he likes and, and he can do whatever, whatever he pleases. The only problem with this is that it's perfectly not true. For if you read the scriptures, it says that if an angel is thrown into that bottomless pit, they are bound until that day 
when they will be judged. They can't just walk in and out. No criminal can just walk in and out of prison when he feels like it. And neither could Satan if he was down there. You see, Satan is simply another fallen angel. But the Bible says, so we, so we know that Satan isn't in that bottomless pit right now because the Bible says that in the future he'll be thrown into that bottomless pit. Okay, let's have a, turn to Revelation. Let's go forward in time and turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. So we're going almost to the end of the book, almost to the last, uh, the last couple of chapters here. And it says there in Revelation chapter 20, verse 1, Jesus has returned already. Okay, so he's defeated uh, the armies of the Antichrist. And it says in verse 1, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit. The reason you have a key is to be able to lock it up. And a great chain in his hand. The reason you have a chain is to tie someone up. And look at what it says in verse 2. And it says, And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till until the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. So Satan has this place waiting for him. It says, and we know exactly who this this being is. He's called the dragon. He's called the serpent. And that's the form he took when he tempted Adam and Eve. He's called the devil. And he's called Satan or the accuser of the brethren. And he will be shut up for 1,000 years. Now, what's those 1,000 years like? Well, that's when after Jesus has returned and rules for what we call the millennium in the world. Jesus will rule the world for 1,000 years. The term millennium is a term that's been used throughout the history of Christianity, and it mentions it in the Bible, and some people have tried to bring that on artificially with false messiahs once again. The devil will try and do that with his antichrist and bring a thousand years of rule. But the Bible says that he won't be allowed to do that. So the, the, the thing is here to keep in mind that Satan is not currently in the bottomless pit, nor has he ever been there. Because if he was there, he'd still be there now. So the beast, the Bible that, is, that it says that ascends out of the bottomless pit at some time in the future, in those during those, the future seven years, is someone else. It's not the devil. In fact, Satan is described at this time as the prince of the power of the air. Doesn't sound like he's bound up. He's called the God of this world. He's called the great dragon, the serpent, the accuser of the brethren. It says that he roars around as Mr. Parry, as, uh, as our brother Alan has shared, he goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Well, he couldn't be doing that if he was in the um, bottomless pit, that's for sure. So it's evident that this beast that comes up from the bottomless pit is not the devil. But who is it? Let's have a look at his identity. Let's just make something clear for a moment, okay? So just that we're not confused. The term beast in the Bible is often used to simply refer to an animal, 
Okay, an animal or even an unidentified animal. Okay, so if you knew if it was a a, a lion, a, a tiger, if it was a bear, if it was a, um, a even a squirrel. Okay, the Bible has one generic term for all of them. They're beasts. Okay, so the Bible uses that term beast over and over and over again. Genesis one twenty five. It says, and God made the beast of the earth after his kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind and God saw that it was good. So God made beasts on the earth. When the good Samaritan helped the man who had been robbed in the scriptures, the Bible says in, in, in Luke chapter 10, verse 34, and he went to him and bound up his wounds. So this fellow looked after this fellow. He picked him up. He bound up his wounds because he was bleeding. He poured in oil and wine and set him, the Bible says, on his own beast and brought him to an inn. Was he, did he set him on that evil angel that's come down from the bottomless pit? No, no, that wouldn't have been a, a nice ride home, that's for sure. Um, so he's put him upon a donkey. So the term beast is simply a term that's used to describe an, some type of animal or some type of creature that sits in a, a, a specific realm, okay? And it could include any type of creature. You know how many animals there are in the world? Uh, the Bible calls them all beasts, unless they're cattle, unless God specifies what they are. Okay, but this also includes a description of angelic beings that defy description or that sits within a thing where you say, that's unusual in appearance, that beast, this, that, that's what I saw. So when the Apostle John sees four special angels in heaven, and these special angels are around the throne of God, the Apostle Paul describes them as beasts. But they are not the same beasts as the one who came up from the, from the, um, the bottomless pit. Turn back to Revelation chapter 4, verse 6, because John has a description of these specific angels, which he calls beasts. And you'll probably get an idea of why. Revelation chapter 4, verse 6 says, says and before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind, in front and behind. And the first beast was like a lion and the second beast was like a calf and the third beast had a face as a man and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. Now that doesn't mean that they, it's actually a lion or a calf or, a, or an eagle or, or even a man. But it says that they had they looked something like that. And it says, verse 8, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Now, who are these beings? These are angelic beings. And they had six wings, and if they, if you, if it, one looked like something like an eagle, um, then what are you going to classify them all as? What's they going to, what are they going to look to you as like? And the apostle John says, well, they look like some sort of a beast. Okay, so these beings which worship God around the throne have characteristics of even beasts upon the earth, but they're clearly angelic beings. So, who is this beast that comes out of the bottomless pit? Well, it's another fallen angel who is currently in that bottomless pit. He's been tied up for doing something he wasn't supposed to do. 
and he will be released in the future during the tribulation period. Let's see where he's introduced in the Bible, which actually, by coincidence and not unbelieving coincidence, David read for us this morning. Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. So turn in your Bibles there. It says there in Revelation chapter 9, verse 1, And the fifth angel sounded. So we're roughly through the halfway through the book of Revelation. The fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of that pit, as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of that pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. Let's just stop there for one moment. Do you remember when I told you that, the, that there are a number of fallen angels, the worst ones, that have been cast into this bottomless pit for going outside of their boundaries and doing things that caused God to intervene and to lock them up? Well, this picture given to us by John here, is a terrifying picture of what will happen when all of these angels that have been confined for who knows how long in there um, will be unlocked with a key and opened up. And it says the way they come out of this thing with from the, the, the smoke and the fire that's down there, it says will we'll, we'll darken the actual sky. And the way they come out will almost be looking like a plague of locusts. That's how many there are down there. And the picture is all these demons flying out like locusts and flying out over the earth like millions of locusts that will be let loose to devour. And they will have, or they will be like scorpions as well, in that they can cause pain to people, tremendous pain. So, these, the picture of these angelic beings, demonic beings, I should call them, rising up out of this thing, being let loose after being in there for so long, causing havoc in the world, is the picture that's being uh, uh, illustrated for us here by John. Now, let's see, as the scriptures now point us to one of those angelic beings, okay, a special one. Look at verse 10. It says, and they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. Look at verse 11. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. We even get the name in two different versions, in the Hebrew and the Greek the worst angel, the strongest angel to be confined in that bottomless pit at this particular time is this one. He's been there. He is the, the, the worst of all these angels. He is what's described as like their king, their leader. And he is described as the, the, this, this king or this angel of the bottomless pit. So, he is a ruling angel. 
Now, most of you know that the Bible says or teaches that one of the reasons the, that the, the uh, angelic beings fell is that the devil made them a promise that they could be gods themselves. And the devil has been trying over the course of man's history to set up what's called principalities and powers through which they get to rule mankind. They are the unseen uh, forces in the background, the ones that move and maneuver things, the ones that are trying to get this history of this planet to culminate to a point where the Antichrist comes in and the devil rules everything as God himself. That's been his desire from day one. In fact, when he fell and his original name was Lucifer, uh, which means the bringer of life, the Bible says that he beheld his own power, his beauty, his wisdom and, uh, and, and cunning, and he loved himself so much that he wanted to be on the throne. And he said in his own mind, in his own heart, I will ascend to that place. I'm going to work my way to there and I'm going to sit as God. And the reason we have such problems in the world today is that he has, is a fallen being and he has caused mankind to do some pretty atrocious things but he hasn't been confined to the um, bottomless pit but this angel whose name is Abaddon and Apollyon that word Abaddon or Apollyon literally means the destroyer Um, and this being seems to have been locked up a very very long time ago Um, he is so bad he is the only other fallen angel to be given really a name. We've got his name. You know, we know Satan's name. He's called Lucifer and Satan. Um, and then he's described as a, as a, as a, um, as a serpent and a, and a dragon. But this other fallen angel is given a name as well. And so what's this destroyer doing in the bottomless pit in the first place? Why is he there? Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Now, we won't be able to even complete the identity of this uh, particular being, but I'm hoping you get a good idea about who he is today. We make a good start on it, because this is the being that comes against the two witnesses and eventually ends up killing them. And the question you might ask is why? We're going to try and answer that question next week. Why does God allow him to beat them and to kill them? But let's... Let's clarify his identity because what we will see is a connection with this being from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We're going to see his relationship with the Antichrist, with the devil, and a few other things in between. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4 says, If God, for if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell. Okay, so hell is that same sort of place where the angels are kept where those angels kept, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. These fallen angels that are in there, including this particular one, are ancient beings that have been around for a very, very long time. They go back and have been involved in the affairs of mankind as far back as Noah's days or before. They've been very active from the beginning. 
and have been a source of lies, violence and corruption. They have tried to subjugate mankind, which means to keep him under bondage, under their rule throughout all of history without even knowing it. But this will culminate dramatically in the future. While many of those worst angels are currently under lock and key, including Abaddon or Apollyon in hell or this bottomless pit, they will in the future be released into the world once again. Abaddon will be let loose and he will be free once again to team up with his old master, who is the devil, to wreak havoc upon the earth. And you might say, well, what's that got to do with anything? The reason God had to destroy the whole world is because these beings, probably including this Abaddon, had filled the earth with absolute violence. Remember what his name means. It means the destroyer. If left this being, if God had not locked up this being, men would have continued to destroy each other. The violence, the Bible says, and we'll look at this next week in more detail, the violence during Noah's day was so bad, was so bad, and men were so corrupt. And I suspect that part of the reason that, that he had to destroy the world was because so many people had become... You notice why Jesus had was going to throw those, um, those angels that had possessed that man into the, into the pit? It's because they were possessing people and making them do things that they would not normally have done. I suspect that so many people during Noah's days were possessed by angels that were filled with violence and killing each other that God had to put a stop to it. Otherwise, all of mankind would have been destroyed. And I suspect that the leader of all these angels, the worst of them, the henchman or the henchman or the right-hand man of the devil himself is this one. And he was locked up during that time. And he is the, probably the, the cause of a lot of the bad stuff that happened in the past. Unfortunately, he's, he will be freed in the future and he'll be freed to once again work with and we're going to see next week his relationship to the antichrist what he is to satan what he is to fallen people what he has done in the past and what he will do in the future and what we need to simply understand is that he is it's this beast is not satan what i wanted you to understand that this beast is another angel with that specific name who will come up and who will kill these two witnesses who God sends into the world, Moses and Elijah. So, before we go into more of that, which will be next week, and I'm sure if you've learned anything today, next week will be an eye-opener for you, I'm sure. If you've learned anything today, what is it? Well, we can be confident that God is in control. We know the end of the story from the beginning. God cannot be defeated despite the devil's best efforts, despite all of Satan's plans and, um, and uh, devices that he, he tries in the world. The Bible says that he will ultimately fail. And our best uh, course is to make sure that we have our armor on, as Alan has already shared with us this morning in the children's message. We need to understand that we are locked in a spiritual battle in these days. 
Yes, there may be a number of angels that are deadly and evil that are locked up at the moment, but there are a ton of them that are not. Um, and the Bible says that we are in a battle with them on a regular basis. There is a battle taking place around us each and every day that we do not see. And we can't see these enemies. We can't see these beings because they, they, they're in a dimension that we can't see with our physical eyes. Um, but the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, that we need to rest in the strength of God and in the power of His might, to trust Him for it. You see, what we can't see, He sees. Where we lack, He's got. If we don't know, if we don't have the ability, He has the ability and He has told us that He will lead us into victory. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Not be strong in yourself, but be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, not just part of it, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, against his attacks, temptations, against his, his devices against us. For, the Bible says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our fight isn't fighting with people. That's not our, what, who our fight is our, with. Our fight is against principalities, against power. Principalities are, is, are rules, are people who, who are, are beings who rule others. Okay, A principality is a, like a, what comes from the word prince, someone who rules over others. We, we are fighting against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's who our, our job is with. That's who we fight against. And that's why we cannot let our guard down. And we need to rest in God's strength. Never forget, we battle an invisible enemy. Well, how do you battle an invisible enemy if you can't see them, if you can't see your enemy? Well, the Bible tells us that we do not walk by sight, but we walk by faith. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says we walk by faith and not by sight. We don't determine what is real and what is not simply by what we see in front of us. We walk by faith. Now, what faith is this speaking of? Is it a creed? Is it a denomination? Is it a religion? Is it Faith Baptist Church? Is it human goodness? Is it, is it any of those things? The answer is no. To walk by faith means to live trusting Jesus Christ as your saviour day by day. And the question is, do you have that faith today? Because in the end, as, as uh, Alan said, the devil is seeking whom he may devour. And the only chance of getting through is if you are in Christ and you are protected. Now think of this for a moment. Those two witnesses are able to witness for three and a half years despite the Antichrist being on the earth and ruling for most of it, even the area that they're in. But he can't lay a glove on them. Christian, if you are not in the word of God, if you are not walking with the Lord, then you've walked outside of the bounds and you've essentially said to God, I don't need your protection. I don't need this armor that you're giving me. You want to be chewed up? Then don't follow what the Bible says. If you want to be protected from the devil, if you want to win this victory, and the devil may attack you, if you look at, if you look at the Bible, even the Apostle Paul 
was the Bible says was buffeted by a demon in the flesh. And he asked the Lord three times and said, Lord, can you take this thing away from me? Because it's causing me a lot of distress. And Jesus' response to him is, um, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul said, you know what? I'm going to accept that. I'm going to rest in your power. I'm going to actually understand and Receive this point that I am actually weak. So Paul made it a actually a, a thing. He actually says, "Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, my weaknesses, than that the power of Christ may rest in me." So Paul said, "Look, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, things that I lack, in persecutions and distresses, for His sake." Because he says, for when I'm weak and I admit I'm weak, then I'm going to rely on him. I'm going to rely on his strength. If you try to defeat spiritual entities with your own power, then you have zero chance of doing that. If you want to win at this walk of life that God has set us upon, if you want to win in this and have success in this path of righteousness, Without the Lord, you trying to do it by yourself. If you don't admit that you're still weak and in need, and you need the, the grace of, of, of God and the, of Christ, if you don't understand that and, and don't accept that, then you're going to try and win this this uh, walk or this battle in your own in your own power, in your own wisdom, with your own sight, and that's utter foolishness. What type of faith do you have today? Do you? See by faith? Is your faith in Jesus day by day? Do you trust in him to give you the grace that you need? Do you glory as the Apostle Paul in your weaknesses? That's what I'm calling you to do. That's the challenge for us today. To understand that despite the fact that we are the children of God, we still inhabit these earthly bodies. We have to work with what we have here. And God says, you know what? There's a minefield in front of you. But if you follow me, you won't be harmed. Have we gone off our own, our own tangent? Have we gone off on our own paths and said, no, no, I'll do it my own way because I see the way better than you, God? No, let's not do that. Let's trust in God's word. Let's believe everything in it. Let's seek to live those words, understanding that there is a spiritual battle that's raging around us that we do not see. Do not live by sight, but live by faith. Trusting in Jesus, not just to save your soul, Christian. Yes, you put your faith in him to actually save you and give you an eternity in heaven. Wonderful. You've put your faith to save you from your sin. But do you put your faith in him each and every day to give you victory over the devil? To give you victory over the flesh? That's what this walk is all about to grow in that because unless you grow in trusting in Jesus then you are going backwards Jesus will Jesus has all the grace that you will ever need and unlike all the false messiahs that the other religions are waiting for this this person who's going to be born and is going to rule the world who will eventually fool the entire world into believing that he is Christ 
here's somehow Jesus returned, and there are already plenty of them around already. This Jesus whom we serve will return from heaven as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And even now, he watches over us as his children. Keep your faith strong in him. Grow in him. Live by faith and not by sight. And if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, if he is not your Lord and your Savior, if you don't understand what those words mean, if you don't understand what it means to be born again, okay, then today is a day you really need to understand what that means. You need to ask the questions. You need to find out where your soul is at the moment. Are you in a prison cell, in a spiritual prison cell that the devil's kept you locked up in? Or have you been freed by Jesus? If you don't know the answer to that this morning, then put your faith in Jesus. Repent and trust in him and the sacrifice he's made for you at Calvary. He shed, and he shed his blood that your sins may be forgiven. He took your place on the cross. He took the punishment for you and me. All we need to do is say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Save me, a sinner. I have no strength to save myself. And then walk in those paths. Turn away from your sin. Turn to Christ. See him for who he truly is. Let God open up the eyes of your understanding and then begin to live by faith in him. If you don't know the Lord today, well, today is the day to be saved. And Christian, if you aren't walking with the Lord, don't put yourself and others in dangerous paths. God bless you all. I hope you have a wonderful week. I pray you grow stronger in the Lord, in his knowledge, and I pray that he continues to bless you by his grace. God bless you all. Looking forward to seeing you all soon. Amen.